You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Leadership that is shown to be legitimate by the faithfulness to the Word of God and to godly conduct, not careless. It's not a careless thing. Paul advised Timothy along the same lines in 1 Timothy 4.16. Take heed to yourself, to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. David Guzik said, such leaders should be recognized and remember those and followed. He goes on to say, just as much as the church needs godly leaders, It also needs godly followers. Have you ever been part of an organization that had a lot of managers, directors, and supervisors? If everyone is a leader, who is there to follow the leaders? As Pastor Dave points out, like organizations, churches not only need godly leaders, but they also need people who will be godly followers. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 20 as he continues his message, Paul's Farewell. They look for a place where they're comfortable, they're accepted, and they're loved. And they start spreading their false things. Oh, they don't get up in front of everybody and start spreading it. They start drawing each people away, one person at a time. And they start spreading their little thing. Here, little new thing, little new there. Maybe give you a CD, maybe do this. They start talking to you. And pretty soon, your head's kind of spinning. You really don't know where you're going. And they continue to talk to you. And then after they've talked to you for a while, they move on to the next one. And pretty soon, they've gathered themselves this little group that's surrounding them. And they think, oh, he wouldn't lead us astray. It's, it's him. He wouldn't lead us astray. Oh, my gosh. And all of a sudden, they make their move. The church splits. The church falls in pieces. Because the people that they've surrounded themselves with now become their disciples. You're not leading them to the Lord. He's leading them to themselves. We have to be careful of that, Paul says. We have to be careful about that. He warns the elders, you have to be careful. You have to be stay awake watchmen, constantly on your toes, constantly gleaning and listening to what people say, watching them, watching them. That's what Paul's telling his elders here. Then he says, now, these dangers that are within, now he gets personal. Because these dangers that are within aren't necessarily always within the church, but they could be within you. They could be within me. They might be within me. And we have to be extremely careful of these things. I think that's why he said in verse 28, take heed of yourselves. Watch yourself. The leader has to always be watching himself to make sure that he's connected to the Lord, to make sure that he's biblically correct, to make sure that he's doing the things that the Lord has called him to do. It's important for your sake. It's important for your sake and the leader's sake. He said, take heed of yourselves. Now, in the next several verses, verses 31 to 35, Paul's going to name five things. He's going to name five things that are especially destructive to the life of any ministry let alone leadership, but especially to those in leadership. And he warns the elders, he says, watch and remember. 
He's telling them to examine themselves, to look at yourselves always first. Beginning in verse 31, we read, Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So the first destructive action I see is carelessness. Carelessness in the ministry. Failing to stay awake, failing to stay alert, forgetting what price others have paid for the ministry to be here. It's easy to forget the hard work that might have gone on before. Paul says, this work went on with tears. Tears brought this work. Heartbreak brought this work. One thing I've learned is ministry is full of tears and heartbreak. I've learned that. Paul says, ministry is done with tears. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, the writer says, remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. The writer here in Hebrews is telling us to recognize and follow godly leadership in the body of Christ, leadership that is shown to be legitimate by the faithfulness to the word of God and to godly conduct, not careless. It's not a careless thing. Paul advised Timothy along the same lines in 1 Timothy 4.16. Take heed to yourself, to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. David Guzik said, such leaders should be recognized and remember those and followed. He goes on to say, just as much as the church needs godly leaders, it also needs godly followers. I love that. Paul's warning the elders again, be vigilant. Stand guard, sentry. Stand on that watchtower and be vigilant. Don't get careless with your ministry. Don't get careless with your reading of the Word of God because carelessness leads to the next one that he says, shallowness. We have carelessness, then we have shallowness in verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the Word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The idea of shallowness here means little depth. There's little depth. You're not rooted and grounded in the Word of God and His grace. You just scratch the surface. You don't go real deep. You don't allow the Word of God to penetrate your heart. And this is why we said last week that anyone in ministry or anyone who is following the Lord Jesus Christ needs to be in communion with the Lord on a daily basis. You need to be in the Word of God. You need to be sitting at His feet. You need to be praying. You need to be seeking the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. It's so important for anyone Any child of God, whether you're in ministry or not, any child of God. But remember, we're all in ministry. Every one of us is in ministry. Some of us have different jobs to do. A church cannot be built, a church cannot be established, or a church cannot be enlarged unless God is being built up within us. You want the church to grow? Spend some time with God. Get built up in His Word and watch what happens. Spend some time seeking the Holy Spirit on your knees and watch what happens. It's not only by the grace of God, but His Word as well. We're to focus on God's heart, which is revealed to us through His Word. Hughes says that Paul was commending the simple gospel, the doctrine of God's love and God's undeserved kindness. We must focus on the grace of God and we must never compromise. Ooh, I said a big C word, compromise. Ooh. Compromise is to settle by concession. The greatest threat to Christianity today is compromising to the world. The greatest threat we have is compromising our principles to the world. Compromise is one of our deadliest enemies, 
It is clever seduction, it is subtle, and it is most deadly. Compromise is one of the most effective tactics ever invented by our enemy used against us. Satan doesn't expect to convince you to go out and just commit a horrible sin. Probably not going to happen. Oh, it might, but it's probably not going to happen. What he's going to do, though, he's going to get you to lower your guard a little bit. Remember what we said about the Loran system? Just a tick off. He's going to get you just off a little bit, off from center a little bit, and then pretty soon you start to slide. The next minute you go, how did I get here? You're in the midst of something. You don't think you need to read the Word of God anymore because you know it. I've been a Christian for 25 years. I know the Word of God. Well, in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, Paul told the Corinthian church, Therefore let him who thinks he stand take heed, lest he fall. The writer, the Christian writer by the name of Graham Scrooge, once said that compromise prompts us to be silent when we ought to speak up, fearing or offending. It prompts us to praise when it's not deserved to keep our friends. And it prompts us to be tolerant of sin and not to speak out because we might have enemies. That's what compromise is. Being shallow is like standing in quicksand. You don't stand up very long, but you sink pretty fast. Compromise. We need the grace of God through the Word of God in our lives daily. Paul says, beware of these destructive attitudes of carelessness. Beware of the destructive attitudes of shallowness and compromise. And then he says, beware of the attitude of covetousness. Look at verse 33. I have not coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Covetousness means consuming and controlling desire for what others have more of than you think. Most of the time, people think covetousness only has to do with money, but it doesn't. It could be a position. It could be recognition. It could be power. It could be glory. It could be praise when you covet these things. Coveting to me means you're not satisfied with what God has given you. When you covet what somebody else wants, you're not satisfied with what God has given you. In fact, Paul calls coveting idolatry in Ephesians 5.5 5 and Colossians 3.5. He says it's actually idolatry. And idolatry is placing anything in your life in a higher priority than God. We're getting ready to go into chapter 20 in the, verse of, in the, chapter, in the book of Exodus in our Wednesday studies. And the first thing we read in chapter 20 and verse 1 when the Ten Commandments says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Idolatry. Oh, I don't put gods before. Well, maybe your TV is your God. Maybe your Game Boy is your God. Maybe your job is your job. Maybe your relationship is your job or lack of. Maybe all those things become your idolatry. Maybe they become your God. Paul's warning against idolatry, warning against us. When you covet, what you want becomes more important than God. Paul says, beware of these destructive habits. Heed yourselves. Watch out for yourselves, please. Things are going to happen. You can't do this. Paul says, beware. It goes back to examining ourselves on a daily basis. What am I trusting in? Examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourself to see if you're trusting in the right things, if you're trusting wholeheartedly in the Lord. Paul zings another one in there in verse 34 as he addresses the elders. He said, now watch out for the destructive action of laziness. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. You know, Paul probably could have been called many things, but I don't think you could ever call Paul lazy. 
I don't think you could ever call Paul lazy from what we read about him. I mean, we know from Acts 18 and 19 that he spent all day making tents, and the rest of the evening he spent teaching the Word of God. That's what Paul do. You couldn't call him lazy. He worked tirelessly for three years. These elders were witness of that. I wonder if any of them tried to keep up with Paul. Yo, Paul, slow down. I wonder if anybody tried to keep up with them. I, I, I just wonder those kind of things. My mind's crazy. See, the watchman can't be lazy. The watchman can't slack on the job. When the watchman slacks on the job, bad things happen. And they usually happen to people. They usually happen. Some things always do. Ministry is not for the lazy. Some people wait around and I just want to be asked to do something. I just want to be asked to do something. Well, that's lazy. See something that needs to be done, do it. That's the way you get into ministry. You see something that needs to be done and you just do it. You'll be thanked for it. You'll be praised for it. Thank you very much. We really wanted to get that done. Don't sit around and wait to be asked. Don't sit around and wait until be called upon. You see something needs to be done, do it. You're outside. You, I mean, when you're outside, most of you are outside. If you see trash laying on the ground, chances are you go and you pick it up. Nobody told you to. So you see something that needs to be done, do it. Don't get lazy. One cannot be lazy. The Bible talks a lot about laziness. Proverbs is filled, filled with verses on laziness. The lazy person hates to work in Proverbs 21, 25. The lazy person loves to sleep in Proverbs 26, 14. The lazy person gives excuses in Proverbs 26, 13. The lazy person wastes his time and energy in Proverbs 18, 9. He believes he's wise, but he's a fool, 26, 16. Proverbs tells us what the end of is in store for the lazy person. Lazy person becomes a debtor. His future is bleak and he may come to poverty. But the Lord empowers us with the new creation and the new nature to avoid the propensity to laziness. Our old fallen nature wants to be lazy. The Lord gives us rewards for not being lazy. Look what he says to, to look what Paul says. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season you'll reap if we don't lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those in the household of faith. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Jesus. That was Galatians 6, verse 9 and 10, and what I just read was Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Paul's our example. He wasn't lazy. He tells the Ephesian elders to beware of these destructive heresies, to beware of these carelessness, shallowness, covetousness, laziness, and finally, the last one he says, beware of selfishness. Look at verse 35. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Paul gets to the true heart of ministry, being a servant and giving. Being a servant and giving. Remember what Jesus said in Mark 10, 45? Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Earl Pierce, whom I read, calls this scripture in verse 35, it's more blessed than to, to give than receive, the supreme beatitude. Because unlike other beatitudes, this one tells us how to be more blessed. It's more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, blessings don't come from accumulating wealth. It comes from sharing it. But the neat thing about it is, is that in this instance, Paul's not asking for money. He's asking for them to share themselves. 
Give of yourself. Many, many, many people take this thing and they use it to prop up their ministries. They use it to get money for their personal gain. You know, brother, it's more blessed to give than receive, so you give to this ministry and you'll be blessed. Well, that may be true. But what's the, what's the reasoning about it? Paul's talking about giving of his heart, giving of his time, giving of his energy. This was Paul's approach for attitude, one of giving. Very interesting to me that these are the last words that Paul speaks to the Ephesian elders. The very last words. I mean, he's already told them and warned them about what was happening, and the last thing he says is, hey guys, remember what Jesus said? It's better to give than receive. He's talking of ourselves. He was giving them encouragement. He's telling the fellow soldier of Christ that ministry is about giving. Paul gave himself completely to God, and then he gave himself completely to his people. Paul gave himself with such integrity that he forgot himself. There was no I in Paul. Paul was completely selfless. He was completely selfless. What an example we have from the Apostle Paul. He never wanted gifts for himself. All he wanted to see was people grow in the grace of knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wanted to see people get saved. It was beautiful. John Corson said of this verse, Please keep in mind the context of the verse. Paul was not asking for himself. He was giving of himself. He wasn't saying, give to this ministry and you'll be blessed. He was telling the Ephesian elders to give of themselves freely and the blessings flow. Give of yourselves freely. Paul ends his speech. It becomes a sad time. You Look at the last verses. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. They wept freely and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words he spoke, that they would see his face no more, and they accompanied him to the ship. Paul, still in pastor mode, prays for them. I would love to see this picture, all these guys openly showing their affections for each other, openly enjoying each other's company. We're manly men. We don't do that kind of stuff. Now, these guys were just falling upon each other because they knew they wouldn't see each other. Have you ever had to say goodbye to someone? that you thought you might not ever see again, that's tough. That's really tough. Really, really tough. And B and I came down here from Vineland and we said goodbye to all our friends that we'd fellowshiped for 12 years. It was tough. Even though we're only an hour away, it was tough to leave them behind. It was tough to come down here because of our friends and because of the fellowship that we had there. But we knew the Lord was calling us and we had to obey the Lord. And that's what Paul's doing here. He's saying, listen, guys, I love you, but the Lord's calling me and I gotta go. We follow the Lord. We don't follow man. We follow the Lord. Paul is a consummate example as he gets on that boat and he sails away. His eyes focus on the Lord and what the Lord has him doing in his life, probably crying like a baby, knowing that he loved his brothers, the ones he loved, he's leaving behind. Are you ready to go where the Lord might call you? From this address that Luke recorded for us, we see a wonderful example in how to approach not only life, but ministry as well. I want to leave you with this. Paul taught for three years. He taught the Word of God. He taught to the people of Asia, and it spread through all over Asia and Europe. He taught the people of Ephesus. Ephesus was a growing and healthy church. It was booming. It was boomtown, Central Asia. People were getting saved left and right. The church was huge. He would write a beautiful epistle to the church, teaching them how to sit before the Lord and see all the things that they have, how to stand and how to walk in Christ, this beautiful, glorious epistle. And I have to ask you, what happened? What happened? 
What happened to the church of Ephesus? Well, we get a glimpse of it in Revelation 2, verses 1 to 3. Jesus is talking to John about writing this down to the church, and listen to what he says. To the angel of the church of Ephesus, write this. These things say he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered with patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. What great praise from the Lord Jesus. It sounds like they're doing everything to right. It sounds like they're doing everything that the Apostle Paul told them to do, watching out for false teachers, pointing out false teachers, not being lazy, being careful for their ministries, persevering. They're not weary. But something was wrong. Something was wrong, and Jesus points it out in verses 4 and 5. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do your first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent, the, lep- the lampstand represents the presence of God. They left their first love. They didn't lose it. They left it. They left it behind somewhere. Paul, the Lord's saying, it's not too late. It's not too late. Do the first works. Well, what did I do when I first got saved? Believe. Have faith in the Lord Jesus. Return to him. We've just made a full circle, folks. We've just made a complete circle. I don't know if you've been watching it or not, but we've just made a complete circle. We started out this morning with communion, sitting before the Lord, reading a psalm of repentance, trying to get our hearts right with God. And here we are ending when the Lord Jesus is saying, repent and do your first works. Come back to the Lord. Come back to me, he says. Get right with God. We don't know what happened to the church of Ephesus. But Jesus declares, you've left your first love. Come back and do your first works. Believe upon me again. Believe upon me. Have you left your first love? Have you left God someplace on a shelf someplace? At one time, you had this glorious and wonderful relationship with him. You know, you you were excited every time you opened up God's word. You were excited about every time you, you witnessed. You couldn't keep your mouth shut about Christ. You constantly told people about him. Something happened. Life probably got in the way. Things happen. Have you left your first love? It's not too late. Paul's saying, or excuse me, Jesus is saying, repent and do your first works. We need to get back on our knees for Jesus Christ. We need to have that repentant heart that says, Lord, I want you and you alone regardless of anything else in my life. And we need to repent and do our first works and come back to God. That's what's being said here. That's what we do as Christians. That's why we celebrate communion. So we have a time of repentance. So we have a time of getting our heart right. So we have a time of getting back with what the God, God wants us to do. Are you there? Or have you left? Come home. Come home to Christ and his love. Repent and believe again. You are You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. 
Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope.